Hello everyone, Joshua Gilliland here, one half of the founding members of the Legal Geeks. I am here with Captain Thomas L. Harper to discuss Spider-Man Homecoming. Thomas, how are you? Present for duty, ready to talk the web slinger, my favorite character growing up as a kid. A lot of people feel that way. And just let's get this out of the way first. What'd you think of the new movie? I, I loved it. I, you know, so maybe, you know, no offense to all the Tobey Maguire fans out there um, or Andrew Garfield fans, but I thought this was the definitive uh, version of Peter Parker and Spider-Man, the character on screen, the, you know, the inclusion of Iron Man in his story and this, this mix in with the Avengers, you know, I'll get used to that's, you know, I, I as a kid, I don't remember, um, you know, reading a ton of comics with that stuff in it. But I really liked it from start to finish. So fanboy, I'll, I'll take a time out on my fanboying. Uh, and, you know, what would you think? Uh, I liked it a lot. And we can fanboy more about this after we get through the law. Uh, <laughs> you know, I remember like early comics where Spidey did try breaking into the Fantastic Four's Baxter building to try <laughs> to join the FF. So he's tried seeking out team members and role models before. Right. So like th that didn't bother me and having Tony Stark in that uh, male role model rent, uh, mentor position, I actually thought worked and we can talk more about that, but I, I really loved it. And we can talk about comparison to the prior to spider men that have appeared in on screen. But let's get to the first big issue. And we t I've talked about this when Civil War came out. And that's the issue of child endangerment. Uh, because Tony does take a minor out of the United States to Germany to fight Captain America, the Scarlet Witch, Ant-Man, uh, Winter Soldier, Falcon... Uh, and Hawkeye, and I might be forgetting somebody, and he did that without Aunt May's permission. So, do you have any thoughts on child endangerment? Not, not a single permission slip. I think at this point, we can. It's fair to classify Tony Stark as a a serial child endangerer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think you know almost the the stakes are a little higher here because he he has brought him into this world he is uh in a lot of the ways between the suit and just his lax guidance um bringing him into the world and exposing him to these dangers and almost in a way tacitly encouraging him um despite what he might be saying in the back of a, a very fancy audi to to you know, go out and expose himself to, to potential risks. And then he's not there, right? Uh, you know, maybe a robot remote version of himself comes in on occasion to save him. Um, but clearly, you know, the events of Civil War had an impact on Peter Parker. Uh, you know, that, that absolutely gave him the taste for crime fighting, gave him some sense of belonging and whatnot in a drive. And I think Tony Stark owed it to him. He owed it to Aunt May. He owed it to the, the state of New York at large to take a little more care with Peter. Agreed. Uh, let me just read from New York Penal Law, Section 
10, uh, subsection 1. He or she knowingly acts in a manner likely to be injurious to the physical, mental, or moral welfare of a child less than 17 years old or directs or authorizes such child to engage in an occupation involving a substantial risk of danger to his or her uh, health or life. Uh, yes, <laughs> so many levels from let's go take on uh, Tony's version of the Rogue Avengers. Now, granted, depending on your view of Civil War, you might have been on Team Cap or Team Iron Man. I'm still Team Cap on that one. Team Cap. Yeah, but Tony purposely asked Peter to go to Germany with him to subdue Captain America. That would include physically fighting other superheroes. There is no doubt in my mind that Stark knowingly acted in a manner likely to be injurious to the physical, mental, or moral welfare of the child less than 17 years old, since uh, Peter is 15 in this. Moreover, there's the entire issue of fraud upon Aunt May, because the Stark internship <laughs> wasn't an internship. It was, let's go do crime fighting. And we don't even know if Peter's technically registered with the Sokovia Accords and acting under that. So the lawfulness of this entire endeavor screams vigilantism with a minor uh, with fraud upon his legal guardian. There are so many things wrong with that. It's not funny. Technically, you could twist things around and all of the Avengers are interns of Stark Industries and his, uh, his, his uh, internship program, which just happens to involve uh, fighting some otherworldly entities and very big baddies. But so a question that I have, so you, you read that first prong of it, which is, uh, you know, or authorizes such child to engage in an occupation. I think Civil War is a little clearer cut, but flash forward into Homecoming, and they have this conversation in the back of Tony Stark's car, and his his bottom line with Peter Parker is, "You're not ready. Why don't you you're benched, sit on the sidelines. We'll call you if if we need to." But he lets him go with the uh, the you know the spider suit, uh, you know, with training wheels mode engaged or whatever. But you know, does the fact that he leaves him with those instructions and says, Hey, don't do X, Y, or Z, but still leaves him with the ability and this, uh, you know, the, the technical ability to, to fight crime and engage in these endeavors. Does that still expose him to liability? You think? Yeah, I think it's a form of negligent entrustment at that mm. point in time, uh, possibly even an attractive nuisance because he, <laughs> you know, he left, yeah. you know, Peter with the Spidey suit that had a bunch of enhanced abilities beyond, uh, Peter's own enhanced abilities and right. uh, basically was a tacit encouragement of committing crime fighting and going out and being that friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Moreover, you know, it's, you have Peter calling, you know, happy and making reports and they're not telling him, Hey, stop it, kid. If anything, they're not returning his phone calls, right. and which is trauma on another level for Peter, with because he's trying to seek positive reaffirmation from a male role model that look at me, I'm doing good, I'm helping people, I want to be like you, and he's not getting anything back in return, and that sucks just on a human developmental level. 
but you could go, yeah. you know, is this you know, delinquency of a minor that they're now engaged in? Uh, is it a form of child endangerment? I, I mean, it's definitely child endangerment, and it's possibly uh, delinquency of a minor in New York. So it's, it's a, there's a lot of problems there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the state would have an, you know, with the amount of destruction and whatnot that was going on, um, you know, who's the one that gets pictured nearby? It's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man in red and blue. And so he is just very obviously visually attached to these destructive events, even though it might be in reality, you know, the Vulture's crew doing this stuff. And so, yeah, the the state of New York is going to look at him. And if they were to figure out who he is, they're going to look to the person that enabled all this. And I think even, even after the point in the movie where he takes the spider suit back, um, that liability doesn't end for, for Tony Stark, just wagging the finger at Peter Parker doesn't end it. Yeah. It's, it's problematic on many levels uh, from, from what they're doing. And then the constant lying to Aunt May. Yeah. Poor, poor Marissa Tomei. <laughs> and, and I'm okay with her as Aunt May, but we can talk about that. <laughs> why, why, we're, why I am okay with it. Uh, but there's definitely issues of fraud. So I do think she could sue uh, based yeah. upon what's happened here. Because, like, you were lying to me, and you're a deep pocket, and I live in Queens. Let the games begin. <laughs> Uh, but let's let's switch to uh, the vulture. Now I have a blog post that's about to come out on uh, the vulture. Really needed to call a lawyer. So the fact that he has a contract with New York City, he that that he is performing, uh, he has yep. relied to it on his to his detriment. He has changed his position. He's purchased equipment. He is performing his job. And then the contract becomes uh, unenforceable because of federal legislation that makes cleaning up alien wreckage exclusively federal jurisdiction. And a federal agency comes in. He should have sued both. There is no reason to go breach a contract as a reason to turn into a murderous arms dealer (laughs) stealing from the federal government because of a breach of contract that was the wrong result his first act reaction should have been calling a lawyer because they should have sued the city of new york and the federal government because the city might uh, point to the federal government and go like the feds changed the law we can't do anything about this it's like fine he's performed uh you've benefited from the performance and he would have completed the, you know, the, the contract, so he had the expectation value of it and uh, yeah. uh, the reliance uh, of it. I mean, like, it's classic Hornbook law that he was entitled to damages. All, all you 1Ls out there or, or soon-to-be 1Ls who, like me, struggled with contracts one. Little did you know that Spider-Man Homecoming is quite the good example or quite the good primer in some basic tenets of contract law. So, you know, lest you find yourself deep in the fire swamp of that course, your 1L year, uh, just fire this DVD up when it comes out and you'll be good to go. (laughs) Exactly. There's 
it's a great lesson in the first two minutes of the film. So God bless them for doing that. Uh, indeed, indeed, indeed. Which then leads us to all the crimes that the vulture is committing, namely Rico. Do you have some thoughts on Rico? Yes. So I think he, so generally when we talk Rico, uh, we're talking about a statute that came into being uh, to, to get these criminal em- enterprises. So in other words, uh, you know, before Rico existed, you could have, you could theoretically have someone who is directing others in a criminal enterprise to commit crimes and they'd be in a criminally defensible position uh, having, you know, potentially no direct uh, involvement with that crime. Well, in comes Rico and all of a sudden, if uh, if you're part of a criminal enterprise, you're squarely in the crosshairs of this statute. And I would like to have seen more, but I think he's definitely, I, I think he could be looking and, and checking in his mailbox for a target letter from the U.S. Attorney's Office <laughs> um, that he's the subject of a uh, an investigation and in, in potential uh, RICO charges from a grand jury because I think he's in some hot water here. Yeah, he's definitely gotten income uh, directly in this case from the proceeds uh, proceeds of a criminal any enterprise which is engaged uh, uh, that include a laundry list of activities, including uh, where's the one that would actually be on point? Robbery, definitely yep. robbery, uh, because that's there because these breaking in and stealing things from the federal government. So uh, he eventually does commit murder with the first shocker, but mm-hmm. there's a, yeah, it's definitely a Rico action. Yeah. And, and you, uh, you know, Rico itself has, you know, for those that are unfamiliar with the statute, a, a list of sort of, you know, qualifying crimes. So it's, it's like a, a, a little shopping list. And you don't have to have committed or, or be tied to, to many of those crimes, just a couple of them, uh, to, to bring you within the purview of RICO. And I think, um, you know, you pick your you pick your poison here that, that uh, the vulture is committing, but he's exposed. Exactly. Which then brings us to the wings that he has with his flying. Because I was thinking, does this violate any FAA regulations? And what would this be, you know, like the most on point with? Because we really don't have anything on point with jetpacks, at least not yet. Well, we have some information with drones, but we definitely do have guidance with ultralights. And there's a uh, federal law that deals with Ultralight Aviation Smuggling Prevention Act of 2012. And I thought, has he explicitly violated this and flying around, stealing things, and he's technically, uh, you could say it's smuggling because he's smuggling uh, arms or alien technology from one place to his lair to engage in his criminal enterprise. And it would be very fact-specific and we don't know how much things weigh or how fast you can fly. And so this is, this is where the analysis uh, would turn on um, some very specific information. Uh, it's definitely a powered uh, apparatus that he has, mm-hmm. and which means it would have to weigh less than 
254 pounds empty uh, in order for it to be uh, classified as an ultralight. Its fuel capacity does not exceed five gallons, and it's not capable of more than uh, flying at 55 knots uh, in airspeed. And we don't know those things. It, it's probably more than 254 pounds, but it's the alien tech and knowing how much that weighs or doesn't weigh. Um, it's not necessarily all Earth material. We don't know how much fuel it has, so it might actually be less than five gallons. Or it might be, you know, you know the Centauri rocks or gems or whatever we want to call them. So it's right. not like taking liquid fuel. And we don't know its airspeed. How fast does it fly? So it might well, be... I think, the, I think the government is... No, oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 please go ahead. I, I think the government is going to be able to find all of those things out very quickly because short of, you know, a some sort of, uh, you know, other warrant to seize this, this property, those RICO charges are going to allow the government to seize you know, any ill-gotten gains from that criminal enterprise. And so I would argue if I'm the, you know, assistant U.S. attorney on this case, that suit is the crown jewel of his ill-gotten gains separate and apart from the, the cash and whatnot. Um, and so we're going to seize that with a pretrial order from the sh- We're going to go ahead and put it on the scale, <laughs> weigh it, and then – get all of those answers that would check that fuel capacity, how fuel efficient is the vulture suit. Is he going to, you know, the, uh, the local Exxon station a little too often, but uh, yeah, they'd be able to figure that out very quickly. And at the very least, he's going to lose the ability to to use that suit and probably a lot of the other tech that he's got squirreled away in that warehouse. Yeah. And there's also the issue of, you know, like this is exclusively federal so that there's, Mm. you know, crimes of that magnitude being, uh, applied to the charges against him, and it's uh, it is interesting. Which brings us to uh, let's talk about the Vulture. He's one of my favorite villains in the MCU. Now mm-hmm. we have a lot of bad guys that just want to destroy the world, and right. it's part of the reason why Ultron didn't work because we saw Loki trying to lead an invasion and it worked for Loki Mm -hmm. because it was the first time something of that magnitude was happening. Uh, But we frequently have bad guys that just want to murder and cause mayhem. And Loki's a complicated character for a litany of reasons. Uh, Next up for a very effective bad guy would be Wilson Fisk from the Daredevil series Mm because he wasn't Mm -hmm. trying to destroy the world. He was trying to use federal redevelopment contracts for Hell's Kitchen to make (laughs) New York a better place in his image. And yes, there's lots of RICO violations and murder and drug running and everything. But instead of trying to destroy the world, he was trying to make it what he thought New York should be, which is Mm. very different. You get to Vulture and he's wanting to provide for his family. He feels he's blue collar guy who got screwed and he should have seen a lawyer yeah. instead, <laughs> instead he decides to go from you know construction worker salvage guy to criminal mastermind 
and running drugs just below the, or excuse me, running weapons just below the radar. So, you know, the Starks of the world and the FBI don't notice him. Yeah, I, you know, I think there's, he's definitely got some extenuating circumstances swirling around. I, I will say, you know, the, the, one of the things that I really liked about Wilson Fisk's character is, is, and this is just by virtue of the fact that you get to spend more time with him because of the format, but you see sort of the hard scrabble roots that he comes up with uh, or came up from, you see that sort of really, really damaged background. They didn't have the time to do that with the vulture in this case, but you know, you still saw he's trying to protect his family. The only the only caveat to that would be it didn't look like his family was was really struggling at all. I you know I would have liked to, and I don't know that this would have fit the narrative at all. But you know, seeing a little bit more, you know, of his motivation up front because when you see him, sort of towards the last third of the film, they're living in a pretty nice house. He's got a you know a nice uh, you know older car. I can't remember if it was a. I can't remember what what model it is off the top of my head, but you know, the the Tombs family is not doing terrible, and uh, you know, really the the shock value that you get out of that revelation is that he's Liz's dad, not that uh, oh, this is a guy that's really just doing these things to protect the family, and and it get you know, you don't really get that sort of moral crisis in Peter. It's just sort of like, Oh damn, <laughs> the, the dad of my girlfriend or my prom date is a really bad dude that wants to kill me. And you know, that works on a level, but I would have liked to see it massaged a little more. So a couple of things with that people gasped in the theater when that was revealed. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So it, it was, people didn't see it coming and I didn't, I'm normally pretty good at predicting some of those things. It surprised me. I did not see him being the dad. And it's like, okay, yeah, cool. Well done. Um, they were definitely upper middle class. And yeah. I mean, the house where they had the party, that was a nice house, two stories, um, upper middle class. And um, not sure how upper middle class, but definitely not suffering. But he had been at the game for a number of years. And this is the, the, That's one, true. the one gripe that I have with the movie. I think their timing's wrong. He's saying eight years from uh, the, the Battle of New York to present day, I think is too long. And right. uh, so I'm confused by that because in, in real time, it's only been five years. And comic book time, like watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., maybe three or four years have, have you know, transpired. So I'm not sure where we get eight from that. I don't know if we're all just thinking too hard and going, what? Um, you know, do they, do they meant to say five? Um, unless, you know, the battle of New York was earlier. I mean, when we think back to the Marvel movies, we have Iron Man and then between mm-hmm. Iron Man to Iron Man two, a year goes by. And then right after that, you have Thor. And so maybe was this supposed to be like 2009 was the Battle of New York and all of those things that happened. And that's close to being right. But then you watch Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 
and which begins in 1980. And I think they say, what, 34 years later, which put it at 2014. So their math is all messed up. It's tough to know when anything's happening now uh, because of that eight years thing. If they had said five or four, it's like, okay, we could, we could have handled this. Or just years later. Yeah. Yeah. I I need a little Advil after. (laughs) It's like, or they just know like, let's mess with the nerds. Let's just. No, I bet you won't type eight. Oh, I did it. And it made it into the final cut. No way. (laughs) Sorry. Like I, I could have handled six years, but eight is just, I think it's too long. <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, See, my my, my probably you, you mentioned the twist. I I'm the will, will get absolutely suckered. I I would have ooed nod in in the theater. I'm that guy that just will get uh, will bite down on any misdirection, and then uh, be be wowed when the the you know the twist happens. My wife is a serial twist predictor. So early on in the movie, and she just does it so casually. Um, and I can never see when it's coming and plug my ears, but she just casually leans over during the movie and she's like, Oh yeah. yeah I bet the vulture is her dad. And I'm like, there's no way. And then flash forward an hour and she's like, you know, give me the side eye in the movie theater. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> you were right again, drats. Why, honey? Why? <laughs> yeah, it was like that. In, in uh, you know, we were watching Westworld. She's you know, pointing out twists on that one that I would have been coming. She's just like, oh yeah, it's you know this or that. So anyhow, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Normally, there are some that I predict. There are others that I don't. I mean, because sometimes, you know, while I'm good at spotting legal issues, sometimes I just relax and enjoy the ride. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm not trying to predict a twist that will happen or something nefarious uh, because it's like, maybe, maybe I want to enjoy it. Um, It's tough to turn off the lawyer brain though. I I do keep going, (laughs) seeing legal issues at every turn. But let's talk about, you know, other impressions of the film because I loved it. And, you know, thinking back over, you know, superhero movie, you know, history, you know, I do, the first Spider-Man was great and it, it did prove it was viable and it was the first successful superhero movie after X-Men and, and that's important to keep in mind. And then it was one of the few times that the sequel, I thought, surpassed the original. I thought Doc Ock yeah. was was a wonderfully complex villain and who wasn't all bad. And that's always kind of an interesting twist when you're not just dealing with a, you know, someone who's off their rocker or I want to destroy the world for the sake of being evil. And, and then uh, studio politics and other mistakes doomed the third movie, which, which could have been good. And instead yes. they, they ruined it. Uh, they ruined it. <laughs> Uh, I didn't care for either of the Amazing Spider-Man movies. No, no? I just, oh, it just—it uh, it didn't work for me. And they, uh, I, I describe them as they were there. They came out. I saw them. Had you know, lost my memory of them very quickly afterward. They were just there. They might as well have been Red Box movies. I didn't hate them, but they don't sit on my, you know, movie shelf now. 
they just missed opportunities you know, that yeah. missed opportunities, you know, and, and, yeah, I, and I, well, I, I would just say, you know, my, my favorite MCU movie, my favorite superhero movie, uh, you know, DC or other Marvel DC or otherwise up to this point has been winter soldier. I didn't think that anything would, would come close to surpassing that. And, you know, civil war. I liked a lot. Um, Avengers is, uh, you know, up there, Iron Man, but, um, this is a solid number two in my ranking. I, I walked out of there and I was like, you know, winter soldier is not unseated. This is a number two. And my, my normal metric for how much I enjoy a movie is, do I walk out of the theater wishing that that movie was sitting on like the target shelf or Walmart shelf? And I walked out like, ugh, now I have to wait like six months before it's going to come out on Blu-ray. So anyways, it passed that test. I, I, you know, almost, almost saw it again tonight ahead of this recording, but the timing didn't work out. Yeah, I, I don't know how I'd order things because the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie might be my number one um, mm-hmm. or winter soldier. I'm like, they're both very different, both from 2014 mm-hmm. and both appeal to different uh, satisfying comic book beliefs that I have. Winter soldier touches on you know, like what I believe about America, about mm-hmm. you know, there are universal truths that of, of right versus wrong. And Captain America, you know, represents what's right. And and his willingness to go to the end of the line to save his buddy, uh, and the importance of that, and it's a great spy thriller with like real issues on the line, mm-hmm. uh, with Hydra being totally evil. And I thought they did. I'm like, it's <laughs> that's probably my number one if we're just talking pure comics. Guardians of the Galaxy. That's one of those movies where. You know, it's like, hey, Mr. James Gunn, we're going to give you some of the least known comic book characters that we have that only diehard fans would know and go make a successful movie. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> so, yeah. which, which is different than being going like. No, I, this is like, uh, you know, capitalism has found its way, you know, into the, the you know, spurring better comic book movies because I think companies realize um, on all sides of the aisle that quality is what drives box office sales. Wonder Woman didn't sell, you know, millions and millions of dollars worth of tickets because it's Wonder Woman. It sold it because it's a fantastic movie that was a fantastic representation of that character. And, you know, the same goes for Spider-Man. And so I, you know, I, I've said this all along that I'm a huge fan of, of studios across the board bringing high quality movies. I, I don't personally care whether some of these franchises ever truly return to Marvel, but what I do care about is the companies taking the time and the effort to really passionately make a good movie about it. Uh, because that's really what increases the quality. And, and I, I think we're all better off if, you know, at the theater, if all these movies are high quality when they come out. And homecoming is, People were laughing hysterically throughout the majority of the film. The action scenes are great. It's a good coming of age story where you, like everyone remembers being young and awkward and trying to fit in. And that's Peter in high school. And that was probably most of us in high school. Yeah. 
people who grow up without uh, a positive male role model go out and seek them. And Peter does that. And I'm sure the same would be if, if you didn't have a positive female role model, you would go out and seek that type of yeah. positive real, um, male, uh, female role, role model as well. And he has that with Aunt May, and he doesn't have a positive male role model. And so yeah. you kind of get his yearning to, to have you know, vindication and validation from somebody saying like, hey, you're doing a good job. And, yeah. and keep it up. And I thought they did that very well. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of, and you cool see him in spite of having all of these. No, I, I absolutely agree. And I think, you know, you see him, this is the best representation of him as the kid that he is, right. You know, he struggles with stuff as kids do. And he works this stuff out using his own natural abilities. He's not, uh, you know, using his his spider abilities problems i like i i laughed i almost fell out of my seat during the montage where he tries to stop the guy from stealing the car and he's like but this is my car and then everybody's yelling at him from down you know out of their apartment windows and he's like i'm so sorry it's not my fault (laughs) and then he just runs away or when he comes back and his backpack is stolen for like the 15th time you know it's just um you know, the ability to make him feel like a superhero, but also like a normal high school kid is something that none of the others have done. None of the other Spider-Man movies have done so far. Now, the the end of Spider-Man 2, where we just see how crappy his life is, I, yeah. think, I think paints that very well because, you know, he's just, he's just getting, you know, his heart handed to him on a regular basis. And which was probably why the ending with with, uh, Mary Jane was very uh, welcoming uh, because it's just like, does this guy like continuously strike out? And, you know, you know, fast forward to 2017 with this version, uh, it's different. And so the, you know, the, the love interest is different and, and that's fine by me. It, It seems more, you know, high school, you know, puppy crush, type type of situation we're talking to karen you know his ai for uh for advice (laughs) uh and and then they they had good fun with the suit from enhanced interrogation mode (laughs) (laughs) i've got ice cream in there man (laughs) (laughs) i mean it it was great so it's like nice this this all works i am a man (laughs) (laughs) people were rolling just rolling the entire time and it just it worked where it's like no no killing we're not killing anybody (laughs) it worked one one shot kill mode (laughs) (laughs) no uh negative negative. no 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 no. (laughs) uh so that was fun that was just you know, it was a joyful ride, which not everything has to be, you know, like the dark, sulking, brooding, everyone's depressed, you know, superhero movie yeah. that you can walk out of it and feel joy, yeah. which is, I think, again, one of the reasons why Wonder Woman works so well, because it was inspiring and fun and uplifting and with heroes making the right decision. And they do something similar with Spider-Man that it's okay for 
for this to be fun uh, as yeah. opposed to everything's a sad, you know, punch the bad guy. You know, everyone's emotionally tormented. I, I will Oh, you know, two things. First, I was very sad to see that there was no bone saw the the wrestler from the first Spider-Man. Cause that quote, he's like bone saws ready. <laughs> it's still my favorite GIF, my favorite little audio clip from any superhero movie. But then, you know, I, I can appreciate when a movie is entertaining, funny, but also if, you know, for those lonely law students out there is a good lesson in some basic things like contract law. You know, you can, you can get a little extra out of your movie ticket. It's always nice. The fact that we can, you know, dive into that and stay tuned for the blog post because <laughs> there's a lot to talk about with contract law. So uh, I'm fine with Aunt May being uh, Marissa Torme. Like yeah. I mean, the first, She's great Aunt, in the role. she was great. It would make sense that if, Peter's um, what, father, so this would have been, Aunt May would be um, his father's sister, um, that that is, like, that's fine with me, that they'd be similar age. You know, it doesn't have to be like the step, or excuse me, the um, grand aunt. Um, yeah. I'm, okay, I'm okay with it being, you know, like, that's the, she looks like my aunt, you know, type, type yeah. of feeling that 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 doesn't bother me and uh and and she was fun she was a very sweet aunt uh, you know the original aunt may did look like she came off the comic book and yeah. and i miss her I'm not gonna lie she she was a great aunt may um sally field was was okay and it's sally field um tough right. tough to go wrong with sally field um, uh, she didn't have her flying nun hat, but that's cool. And, uh, <laughs> and, and Mar Marissa Torme just worked and the, the end surprise scene, that was awesome. And, yeah. uh, uh, with the can of worms that that will open up for later. <laughs> uh, so again, lots of good. So any other thoughts, uh, on Spider-Man? I, I need to plan out when I'm going to see it again because this is if I wasn't I was already excited to and, and disappointed that I couldn't see it again tonight but uh, I think I know what I'm doing this week. Yeah. Same here, and uh, you know I'm sure we'll be able to talk more once Thor comes out because uh, that looks like a lot of fun. So absolutely. So with that, Thomas, thanks for uh, you know sitting down to talk Spider Man and everyone. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and uh, stay geeky, America. Stay geeky.